After an accident, minutes matter. Your words and actions matter even more. You need help, and you need it now. This is David vs. Goliath, brought to you by Dolman Law Group Accident Injury Lawyers, a boutique firm with a reputation for going head-to-head -head with the insurance company giants and putting people over profits. Thanks for joining us. This is an episode from our back catalog, so the episode numbers and firm name may have changed. But this is quality information, so instead of scrapping them, we decided it was more important to make sure you still had access. Enjoy the episode, and listen to new episodes of David vs. Goliath at dolmanlaw.com. Welcome to the fourth edition of the Dolman Law Group Podcast. I'm here with my guest, John Franco Melendez, an attorney out of Tampa. John, say hello to our audience. How are you doing, everybody? So one of John's practice areas is estate planning. Today, we're going to discuss wills and the importance of such. John, in your experience handling wills and estate planning, what is the proper time to get a will? Yesterday. Because I know that, you know, the common misconception is wills are done when you reach a certain age. Maybe you get past the age of 45, 50, you're financially stable. That might seem like the right time to get a will. Most millennials or individuals of my generation, I'm 40 on the mind, the generation X, I don't know what I'm considered. But those of my generation think, you know, you got to get a little bit older, have some financial stability, have enough money in the account, have some children, and then maybe you consider getting a will. Is that improper or is that proper line of thought? I can totally understand that line of thinking. And mm -hmm. before I learned everything that I've learned in my years practicing, I thought the same thing. Um, but there are so many instances where Will a will could save your family so much grief and headaches uh, that not doing one after the age twenty five surely uh, would be a mistake in my opinion. Well, what happens if you die without a will? Well, then your property goes into what is called an intestate probate, um, and it kind of just the the Florida statutes sort of dictate where your property goes. Um, so if you're married, it goes to your wife. If you have, uh, if you're not married, but you have children, it goes to your children. Um, if you're not married and you don't have any children, it goes to your parents and it kind of goes down in a succession of your family members. And, um, so it's a pecking every, order, if you will. Exactly. And you know, everybody's family dynamic is, is a little different and maybe you don't want whatever you do have to go to a certain person. If you don't have a will, the floor, you have no choice in the matter. So the danger is without a will, it doesn't follow your intention of what you want to do is dictated by the courts, dictated by Florida statute. Exactly. Okay. Do you, do you need more than just a will and last testament? Definitely. So I'm often asked by consumers and friends and those, you know, approaching my practice, I don't handle estate planning. Do I need more than just a last will and testament? Um, what do I do if I get into a situation where a healthcare decision needs to be made and I lack the capacity to handle such, or, you know, perhaps I have financial decisions that need to be addressed. Um, my monthly bills, for instance, or, you know, long-term financial decisions. And I don't have the capacity to make such decisions for myself. What I, do I do? I absolutely think that it's important to not just to, to not just have a will, but to also have other documents that can address those situations. There's a healthcare surrogate designation that basically you elect a certain individual that you trust to be able to make those decisions for you if you are incapacitated due to accident or injury. There is also a living will, which is commonly known as a do not resuscitate order or a DNR. 
Um, basically, that is a valid legal document that dictates your wills in case you have a terminal illness or injury or you're in a vegetative state. Um, and to put that into terms that anyone could understand, if you're uh, from Florida and you have uh, a remembrance of the last 10 years, the Terry Scheibel case. Sure. Um, it's not just beneficial for you to have your wishes known and have somebody who can make those decisions. It's a huge relief for your family. Um, like in the Terry Shavo case, you know, the family was fighting to determine what happened with this individual. And if she had had a healthcare surrogate designation and a living will, this wouldn't have been an issue because it would have already been decided. Um, and so just to make sure that your desires are fulfilled and that you save your family headache because your family's already going through one of the worst times in their lives when, when you sure, are it's emotional. I'm sure there's going to be squabbles yeah. among family members as to what they want to occur rather than what did the individual really intend to occur. Absolutely. And, and not only are they going through a hard time, they might not be making the most rational decisions at that moment. And for you to have the ability to, to dictate that for them and have your wishes just known in a legal document just makes it so much easier for them. When does an actual healthcare surrogate kick in? So it has to be a terminal illness. So it kind you can actually uh, have your 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 healthcare surrogate designation drafted in such a way that it can kick in when you are deemed incapacitated by a doctor, or it can kick in as soon as that document is signed and notarized. Um, so if, if you keep it so that a doctor has to deem you incapacitated, you run the risk of having to wait for a doctor to say, uh, give a medical opinion that you are incapacitated, or you can have the document just kick in as soon as it is signed. And so you don't have to wait for that. And that wait could take, you know, indefinite period of time. It could take days while the decision needs to be made. Exactly. Okay, and how about the uh, not the healthcare surrogate per se, but um, when you have a, a durable power of attorney? Um, explain to me when does it kick in, and how much does it cover? You know, what is the uh, what is the context of a of a, a durable power of attorney? Does it cover just certain instances? Does it cover certain financial decisions, or you know, how durable is the durable power of attorney? So, a durable power of attorney is as general or as specific, and it kicks in. When you want it to, based on how you draft it. Um, this is definitely not something that is easy to do. So getting the opinion and expertise of a experienced uh, estate planning attorney is crucial with something like a durable power of attorney because it can cover every possible thing that you might currently or potentially own or just specific things. If you want somebody to handle your real estate in another state or um, when you're on vacation, you can have a durable power of attorney that's just for that or you can have it for everything that you have, your real estate, your investments, your uh, legal interests in a, in a lawsuit that you might be involved in. Business decisions? Business decisions, everything. Okay, so it can run the whole gamut of your life. Absolutely. <clears throat> now, going back a minute, we discussed you know the last will and testament. What can be done for children? So that is hugely important. 
Um, especially with minor children, I always recommend having uh, a will with a trust included. So in the will, you can designate who your chil- who will be the guardian of your children if something happens to you. Um, and you can split that up into two people, one person being in charge of the finances and another person being in charge of raising and making you know, life decisions for the children in case you don't have one person that you trust with doing both of those things adequately. Okay. Um, and then along with that, if your children are like eight or nine and you have a $3 million estate, you don't want to leave a nine-year-old $3 million, obviously. Of course. So you can set up a trust and uh, designate a trustee who will manage uh, whatever assets you have in your estate for your children until they reach a certain age. Some people pick 21. Some people pick 25. Uh, you can sort of structure it however you think is best. Um, but it gives you a little bit of peace of mind knowing that someone is going to make responsible uh, decisions for your children if something happens to you while they're still very young. Okay. Now going back a minute, we discussed the misconception that's commonly found among individuals, uh, the, from the 25 to 44 bracket, if you will, you know, who feel that you haven't reached a point in life where you need to get a will. Um, what happens if you get a will, you know, you're 25, 30 and your financial situation changes over the next five, 10 years, your marital situation changes, family, obviously the, the dynamic changes, you have children. Um, so your whole life now is completely different than when you actually made the will. What can be done? So before that, you can structure a will in a more of a general sense when you aren't sure what you're going to have so that it'll address any sort of assets or income that you get in the future. But if your circumstance changes, like you have children, uh, such that you really want to make sure that your your will expresses exactly what you want in terms of your new life circumstance, then wills can easily be amended uh, with a codicil, mm-hmm. um, which any experienced estate planning attorney can can do for you. Um, or you can just draft a new will. It's either of those options are relatively not complicated to to come by and is there a situation where you recommend a codicil over a completely new will or vice versa? I mean, if you're just making a small change, um, maybe you just want to designate a one person, a new, a different person for as the personal representative of your estate. Okay. Uh, codicil would be just fine. If a lot of different circumstances have changed, you've inherited a bunch of property and you have different people that you want to allocate all this property to and assets that you want going to different locations, and, and if you pass away, then a new will is probably the way to go. Makes sense. Is there a specific amount of financial assets or liquidity one has to have in order to, to uh, construct a will? You don't even have to have a penny to do a will, especially if you have children, because as I was saying before, in a will, you can designate who is going to take care of your children if something happened to you. Which clearly is a – Yeah, a, you don't need to have money to have kids. No, you don't have to have money to, get, to have kids, um, which is a scary thought proposition of itself. Yeah. We'll discuss that. Absolutely. Thing. So you don't have to have a specific amount of money. You don't have to be of a specific age. A will is something you suggest that we all get once we return to – you know, obviously graduate high school, college. We're of the age of majority. It's time to go get a will to take care of our future. Absolutely. Members. Okay. 
So I'm often asked, you know, can I draft a will myself and what are the dangers of such? And I know that, you know, there's always kits that you can buy online. There's uh, like LegalZoom.com and different yeah. uh, different tools and mechanisms that you can draft it yourself. What is the danger? And I mean, I can explain the danger of many of these areas of law, but when it comes specific to estate planning, what is the danger of either drafting your own will or using one of these kits online, these all-in-one cookie cutter services? So- there's two things that I have to say about that. You know, I have hands and, and my eyes work. Theoretically, I could try to perform brain surgery, but I'm not a trained doctor. Probably wouldn't be a good idea. No, wouldn't work um, out well. I think, I know that's an extreme example, but I find that to be pretty analogous to drafting a will on your own. Uh, with these websites, you're kind of getting what you get. The... Estate planning and probate law varies state by state. So you don't know if the form that you're getting online is necessarily valid or up to date with your state's current law. Um, and on top of that, a experienced estate planning attorney will be able to come up with many more situations than you could even imagine. I get this all the time when I'm speaking with clients, when they're trying to figure out, you know, who's going to take care of their kids, who's going to manage their assets if they, if they pass away. And take, for example, somebody who's in their second marriage and they have kids from a prior marriage. And, um, you know, so I ask them, who do you want to take care of your children if something happens to you? They say, oh, well, you know, my ex-spouse. And then I have to say, well, what happens if, you know, they predecease you or they, you know, they die before you. It's like, oh, well, I guess my current wife. Then I have to ask, what if you and your current wife pass away in the same tragic accident and your ex-spouse is predeceased? And they're like, oh, I didn't even think about that. But a, uh, an experienced estate planning attorney will, and they'll be able to make sure that you have an answer for that question in writing in your will so that your kids are protected. So when you die with a will, how does that work out? So does the probate court get involved? What's the next step? You die with the will. Your intentions are clearly expressed or outlined. What happens next? So how does it get effectuated? That's what I'm, I guess I'm asking. Having a will does not uh, preclude you or, or um, prevent you from having to go to probate court, your estate from having to go to probate court. But – in a general sense, the probate court is supposed to follow your will. Obviously, there are circumstances where it might not. Um, if your will, um, one of the requirements in your will for someone to get something is illegal, a state's not or a, a court's not going to enforce that. Um, or if somebody contests the will, you know, it might hold things up. But a valid will pretty much dictates what will happen in probate court. In, in most cases. Is there scenarios where it wouldn't? Um, you know, if you use one of those online wills and it's not valid, okay, court is not going to hold that as law. Which, again, is a danger because state by state, the laws change, and that's usually all, all in one cookie cutter solution. Exactly. You can't um, handwrite a will that, that is, valid, is not valid in any way, shape, or form in the state of Florida. Okay. And most people don't realize that. And, and most people don't. And a will has to be witnessed by two individuals. And if you don't do that, it's not valid. 
And I hear a lot about what is a revocable trust and you know, what's the purpose of such? What is, what's the benefit of a revocable trust versus a will? When would you use a revocable trust? So a revocable trust is, in a way, a legal entity in and of itself, kind of like a corporation. Um, you can put real estate property interests or investments, um, assets into that trust, and technically it's no longer yours. So it would not go through probate. Um, I generally recommend this as a potential option for people with, um, several multiple properties. Okay. Especially if one is one or more are out of state, it sort of simplifies things in case of death so that, um, kind of removes them from probate and it makes things a little simpler in that sense. Um, it's not right for everyone. Uh, for example, I would never recommend somebody putting their the home that they live in in a trust. Okay. You lose your homestead tax exemption. Um, you lose homestead rights in probate, and it makes things a little more complicated once once things go into probate. But a revocable trust is one way to remove certain assets uh, outside of having to be dealt with in probate once you die. Is there other mechanisms that avoid probate, such as like a ERISA plans or 401ks? And So there's um, trust like I just spoke of. There's uh, You can have joint ownership of bank accounts or real estate property. So if you – so normally if you have a bank account and it's just you – uh, if you die, it has to go through whatever money is in there has to go through probate. If you and one other person own it in equal parts with a payment on death uh, provision, then if you die, that that account just basically res- reverts to that other person. Okay. Um, same with real estate. Uh, if you buy something in title with your spouse in Florida, that's known as tenancy by the entirety. And if you pass away, that property automatically goes to your spouse. You don't have to be married somebody to set up your real estate property in that way. You can um, deed a property in your name and somebody else's name with what is called right of survivorship. And it's kind of the same thing as tenancy by the entirety. If you pass away, that property automatically goes to that other individual. Fair enough. Explain some of the other areas of practice that you handle. I also handle a wide range of real estate matters um, when it comes to purchases and sales of property, landlord-tenant issues, zoning, eminent domain, uh, commission disputes, and I also handle uh, business uh, issues such as you know incorporating and starting a business, dealing with contract disputes, employment contracts. And I also handle family and business immigration. How do they get a hold of you? If my clients want to uh, seek out your services, Mr. Melendez, what do they do? You're always welcome to give me a call. Uh, My phone number is 813-841-6553. I'm also available by email. My email address is g-m-e-l-e-n-d-e-z at attorneymelendez.com. Well, that's John Franco Melendez from the law office of John Franco Melendez. And I'm Matt Dolman from Dolman Law Group. 
And that wraps up our fourth episode of the Dolman Law Group podcast. Thank you for listening and take care. Have a blessed day. This episode of David versus Goliath is over, but your journey is just getting started. To share your story with us, visit dolmanlaw.com. That's D-O-L-M-A-N-Law.com or call 866-965-6242. The insights and views presented in David vs. Goliath are for general information purposes only and should not be taken as legal advice for any individual case or situation. The information presented is not a substitute for consulting with an attorney, nor does tuning into this podcast constitute an attorney-client relationship of any kind. Any case result information provided on any portion of this podcast should not be understood as a promise of any particular result in a future case. Dolman Law Group. Big firm results. Small firm personal attention.